I, I didn't uh I didn't get to read all uh, any of your notes, Hana. Did you get to type them all out? No, because um I wrote thirty pages like a mad woman in the dark, and I'm kind of kind of just gonna wing it. So here we go. I feel like writing a bunch of pages in the dark is very fitting for this movie. I literally have a note in here, um, and it's like me and Bruce both scribbling in notebooks in the dark. <laughs> Synergy. Hello and welcome back to the Why Comics Podcast, the comics book show where we talk about comics we love and sometimes we talk to the people who create them. I'm your host, Hannah, and with me today is your co-host, Jesse. Hello. We also have the editor-in-chief of But Why Though, Kate Sanchez. Hi, thanks for having me on. And I would like to say I'm so happy you said my last name correctly without me telling you. That's a first. <laughs> I am super picky about not being called Hannah, so I totally get it. <laughs> If we could be real honest, and and I'm gonna just out myself as being an extremely white person, um, Hana came to me and was like, "Hey, Kate, really doesn't like uh, her name said this way," and I go, "Okay, I got that, I got that, I can do this." Thank and, you then so much, like, yeah, and then Hana's, and then like, "Here's a clip," and I heard the clip, and I'm like, "I'm now in my head that I cannot do this." Hana, can you host so I don't look like a total fool? And then he outed himself as one anyway. Oh, that's fine. I'm, I'm okay just saying that I was going to be a total fool. I just don't want to be a total fool. That's the thing. I can admit that I was about to be. Well, I greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate it. Yeah, that's why I'm here. I add the culture to the show. Because uh, I sure don't. <laughs> All right, anyway, today we're not just talking about that. We're talking about the Batman. Uh, here's your spoiler warning starting now and going um, to the rest of the video or the podcast. Jesus, fuck. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're going to be doing a spoiler cast about the Batman. We have each seen it multiple times. I think between the t three of us, we've probably seen it more than 15 times. I, I, no, I think it's 11 if I counted everybody's times right. Okay. I can't do math. I'm gay. I've seen it seven. <laughs> oh, gosh. I, I told you. There's, I have issues. He went at like 8 a.m. one morning. I or was it? Off. Yeah, it, you had a day off. Day off. I, I've seen it enough uh, for everybody. I, <laughs> I could just, I can reenact every scene for everybody. I almost went again today. Like, I got a little notification that I had a free credit on my Cinemark app, and I was like, well, I can go. I can just, like, sneak a can of soda in, right? <laughs> uh, and then I didn't, because I had chores to do. But I've seen it enough. I've seen it twice in the last three days. Yeah, I've also seen it twice, um, and it's funny because... Uh, so the first screening was a press screening, but it was, uh, they were only doing it for Rotten Tomatoes critics, which is really weird. Um, it's my husband cause it come and usually he's always my plus one. And so we like camped out, well, not camped out, but like 
we just sat on the Alamo Drafthouse page watching like the first two screenings of Thursday to see which one had the least amount of people because it was like a, like three something. Mm-hmm. And then we went there. And if I had the Alamo Drafthouse pass like I used to, I would have gone to see it a third time because that's what I do with Birds of Prey. I saw it at a press screening and then I took a friend and then I took myself. <laughs> And I, I used to have that, that pass, um, but the Alamos here closed down because the franchisees are like shitheads, and Alamo like cl- canceled the franchise. Um, so now they're like a private. Uh, I guess I shouldn't sh- say they're shitheads out loud, but I'm not like naming them or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like Alamo like pulled out from their like franchise deal with them, so now it's like a private theater company that's basically Alamo Draft House with the exact same menu but they're called something else and I haven't been there because I don't trust them that is very interesting <laughs> because the reason the reason that Alamo like canceled was because uh it was during like when it when it was closed and the franchisees were like oh, I want to reopen and Alamo was like well we're not reopening and so it was like a mutual cancellation I guess so that they could open the theaters in the middle of the pandemic oh that's fun Oh, I see. Like earlier than the rest of the theaters doing that. So, like, especially because of that, I'm like, "Mm." (laughs) (laughs) but uh, I found this new one that's like still socially distancing and stuff. So we like going there now. I uh, I when I when I know I knew the tickets were going on sale on I don't remember what day it was now, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna stay up. I don't have to go into the office tomorrow, so I can stay up and buy tickets. But I didn't see the post that they were going on sale at like 9 a.m. So I thought they were just going to be on sale at midnight. So I'm like up and I'm like ready to go. And then I'm like, oh, well, tickets, I guess tickets are on sale now. And then I just didn't sleep because I was just waiting. Oh, gosh. And then then I saw the post like, like at 8 a.m. I was like, I could have I could have slept. I could have <laughs> been rested. Jesse's more dedicated than I was trying to get a PS5. <laughs> It's Batman. Batman is the the when only thing the that Batman, identifies me. <laughs> well, clearly we all love the movie. Um, I guess we should get started talking about it, right? Yeah, I'm not sure. How, how much sure do we want to do the whole uh, recap of the plot, or do we just kind of want to talk in general? I guess we can just kind of talk about what we liked about it. I should plan things out better since, but I was told to be the host five minutes before we started recording. So I have I mean, I had no plan basically either, so. no plan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, what was, I guess, was there anything, I guess we can get the bad stuff out of the way. Was there anything that we didn't like about it? I wish that Catwoman had had a mask. She had literally everything else. Yeah, I yeah. I liked the little cat ears on the balaclava. I thought it was cute, but like she like people have masks already. Like she can have a fucking like little leather number or something, you know? Yeah, and I guess that's how I was. This is like she obviously took time putting this together, and she had a whip, and she had like she like did the work for everything else. Are you telling me the woman was like, mm, I'm just gonna put this knitted ski cap on, and that will do. And she's had this costume for a while because just like Bruce's costume, like if you some of the close-ups, you can see like scrapes and cuts on the Catwoman suit. Like she's been doing this for a minute. Yeah, I I think, yeah, it it 
that was the only thing that was a little bit weird to me. It also just didn't feel like it went with the rest of the the suit, like the aesthetic. I think mm-hmm. I thought it was really cute. Like I would wear that for Halloween. Like it was, I, I liked it. But I don't think it really just fit with her aesthetic. And then I didn't like the Jokerfication of Riddler. Yeah, I mean that was the only thing. I guess I wasn't a huge fan. Like I liked their take on it, I guess, but I wasn't a huge fan of the Riddler in that like if I was directing the movie, that's not necessarily the way I would have gone. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I'm not the director of the movie, so. Yeah. And I think that's it. Like I wouldn't knock it entirely for that cuz I think Paul Paul is it Dino? Dano? Dan- I think Dano, it's Dano. Dano, Dano. Uh Paul Dano. I can get the white people names. <laughs> um, he he did a really fantastic job. Like he was, it was really good. And for what was put to screen, I think it was really good. I just, I it was a little off for me, just a yeah. little bit, and it felt a little too jokery. Um, but I think that yeah, also and just it felt for my bias of not wanting to see more Joker. Yeah, I, especially it kind of felt like he was trying to channel like Heath Ledger's Joker of like that like really unhinged type of way when yeah. the Riddler isn't necessarily that insane. Like yes. he's he's more calculated than he puts on. He's methodical. Yeah. He's not chaotic. And they it feels like they were just kind of trying to ride that line for some reason, but like he's never really gone that far at least as far as I've read, and I've read quite a few Batman comics, but Jesse is the local Batman expert here. Um, well, I, like, my whole idea with it, too, is I'm kind of waiting to see if uh, Matt Reeves does the Joker, because he's talked about recently, like, he doesn't even he's even going to show up in anything. Um, but I think it's very key to what kind of personality the Joker is in whatever movie it is, because if the Joker's just a carbon copy of the Riddler, then that's where it becomes... Yeah. Um... Where the Joker has, like, different personalities in the comics. He's a mobster. He's uh, an insane person. He is a methodical killer. Like, it just depends on where they're going to go with that. Um, But far as Riddler being Riddler, I think this is an interesting interpretation when you mix in the idea of the Zodiac Killer, when you mix in the idea of QAnon stuff, and how that's kind of like our modern version of someone like the Riddler in a lot of ways. And also... A lot of Riddler stories are about him being a disgruntled employee, and I think this personality fits that better than the uh, whimsical puzzle master at times. Um, I do think that's true. I think that's a better like thing, but the employee part wasn't even like a huge part of it. It was just that yeah. he was like an orphan. Yeah. yeah, I feel like you were supposed to just know that it was an employee because Bruce doesn't want to see an accountant at the start of yeah. the movie. <laughs> And, like, they, they mentioned briefly his job was... Yeah. Yeah, for, like, five seconds. Which, when I heard that, I'm like, that's a thing. <laughs> I, I didn't know a forensic accountant they, was a thing. Forensic I, accountants, like, investigate financial crimes. Yep. I, I only think, know mostly it because what they do. I watched The Accountant with uh, Ben Affleck in it one time. Oh, he was actually an accountant in it? I thought he just killed people. No, he was, like he a was mafia an actual accountant. 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 Like, he was an accountant accountant. Who also killed hmm. people, but was an accountant. I thought he was like a accountant. Like no, he was both. Yeah, cool. All right. <laughs> Makes it more interesting when he can do math and kill people. 
Yeah. <laughs> I I wrote that whole movie off. I might watch it now. Um, I think my biggest issue with it It's hard because like I don't have like obvious issues, but the issues I have are um I wish they just made some stuff clearer for the audience cuz I'm the nerd. I'm the big Batman fan. I have the Batman tattoos. I have all the comics. I've read most of them. I know these things. So picking up on like him not picking up these really obvious clues because he's so hyper-focused. I get that. I get him being not perfect yet because it's year two and stuff. And But at the same time, it's like they could have drilled that home just a little harder for yeah. the general audience. I think that's its biggest weakness is it, it, it plays too much like, oh, fans are going to see this movie. Yeah, I think I was kind of, like, I got what they were going for, but then I saw what people were saying, like, online, and I was like, oh, that's not what the movie said at all. Yeah. But then I realized that it's like, yeah, if you don't have, like, all of that, not even knowledge, but just, like, prior experience, like, it's kind of maybe a little bit harder to see those things. And I think that that, I think that really hits the nail on the head, because, like, a lot of, a lot of people that, like, I've heard that don't like it. They don't like it because they didn't get, like, millionaire playboy Bruce. And I think it's because that is so much what we have gotten in live action. And I think the important thing that a, a director should should make a, in a movie for is I don't necessarily think that they should make a, a movie for comic readers specifically. Because mm-hmm. comic readers are actually a very small minority of people who consume these characters, especially when you look at um, all of the media properties that surround them. That being said, I think that because of that, and people not being open to seeing Batman as something more than just Bruce Wayne, I think that that's where the disconnect was. And so, while I am a like one like what I really loved about this was how they. Like, Robert Pattinson is a bad Bruce by design. Like, because yeah. he is, like, Bruce in this movie yeah, is it's just like a, a choice. bad Bruce. Yeah. Right? Like, he doesn't know how to be Bruce. He doesn't know how to fit into his family's legacy. Like, he just doesn't know. And this is the best he can come up with. And that's why he's Batman. But he also think, doesn't really care. Yeah. Either. Exactly. And I think for some people who may not know stories where, Bat, like, Batman, Batman is really the focus and Bruce really isn't that that may be a barrier for them to kind of see what the movie is doing. Because I think Matt Reeves is way more interested in breaking down the psychology of Batman and breaking down who he is and why he is than he is about talking about the philanthropy of Bruce Wayne, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we're like, I think it, part of that too is they, there was no part where he like really nailed home like, oh, this is my second year of being Batman. Yeah, it's so just that we can like see twice. that he's new. Yeah, like we can like see it if we know that, like when he crashes into the building or the bridge when he's flying down. I thought that was amazing. Or <laughs> which was hilarious. This movie is actually so funny. It really like I wasn't is. expecting it to be. <laughs> um, or even like when like you see him learn in this movie, like yeah. when he shows up at the iceberg lounge the first time as Batman, he just like fights his way in until he gets what he wants. But then he realizes, like, that's not going to work the next time. So he sneaks in and then puts the Batman suit on later because he's, like, learned how to get in now. And yeah, and- I think people were just expecting, like, Arkham Knight 
Bruce Wayne where he just like flies up to the top of the building and breaks in and talks to Penguin that way. But that's like 10 years in versus two years. And so I think people just like aren't setting expectations correctly in a way. I agree. Yeah, especially when you compare it to like something like Batman Begins where that Bruce Wayne at the first movie is very similar, but he's being heavily pushed by Alfred to be the more uh, outspoken Bruce Wayne, but he de- but by doing so, he, like, ruins his life. Like, he burns down the mansion, or he lets the mansion burn because it, he can't pretend that he's Batman, and he's, like, trying to be this awful drunk Bruce Wayne, and there's all that, st- all that dynamic is going on in Batman Begins, where this, they're like, yeah, but what if Bruce is actually, like, real stubborn and actually doesn't do any of it? And I think that fits in more with, like, maybe like the Grant Morrison Batman and stuff like not necessarily right away but it fits in with like maybe right before that where maybe he is just a little bit more obsessive about this kind of stuff and doesn't really care about being like a real person yeah and I think one of the other things where people may have some issues or fall off from is the fact that we like you know you mentioned that like we see Batman learn well a very important part of learning is failing And we get to see him fail. We get to see him make the wrong choices. And we get to see it in a way that isn't... It isn't the villain got a one-up on you. It was, no, you just misread this thing. And I think that that is really important to making Batman human. It's really important to highlighting the detective aspect of things. And I just genuinely think that that makes the Batman somebody that you can latch onto more that being said i think that a lot of people especially because of how batman's been written um you know like bat privilege and that very very thick batman armor batman plot armor it's very easy to see batman as somebody who never messes up yeah yeah and so i think especially with where we've seen him go before exactly um and i it was something that i highly appreciated and it's something that I, I, I really enjoyed because every time that he talks, he's not commanding a room because he has charisma. He's commanding the room because people are scared of him. But it's yeah, not because he's a weird well, fucked up guy exactly. in a bat suit. <laughs> but he's not like he's not like being witty with people to put them in their place. He's not like he's he is just kind of there and he's almost soft spoken in a way that I think is really endearing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But it's also Robert Pattinson exactly. and I have a crush on him. <laughs> exactly. And I think that like when we look at him, I, I, I think very specifically the only time that we really see him like get snappy with somebody is when the police, like the chief is like, I got you on assaulting an officer. And he's like, you got me on assaulting three. I love, like, I love that so much. It's, it's such a good line. Um, but that's really the only time where you see him really asserting himself in a group situation. Like other times he's just kind of walking around other people and observing. Like when you think of all like the, the murder scenes and everything, he's not really yeah. an active participant. He's watching and learning and it is, I don't know, it's just very cool. <laughs> yeah, he's like fully separate from the rest of them, just like existing on his own plane of reality exactly Anna, now you got to talk about what the stuff you didn't like um i mean 
everyone knows I hate cops. Uh, and I just think this movie had a little bit too many. And, like, I get that Batman has to have cops, like, as part of the story. And I get that cops in Gotham, especially the ones that, like, work with Batman, are meant to be, like, an aspirational thing. And that, you know, it doesn't necessarily exist in the same political, like, continuum that our police system does. But it's kind of clear that they're trying to make it seem that way. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, but also there's, like, a whole army of good cops that are going to come in and save the day. Like, if especially with that scene when they were arresting Falcone, yeah. when it seemed like it was like a whole like precinct of cops that was like, oh, they're the good ones, you know, don't worry about them. When it could have been like maybe a handful of people who Gordon actually trusted or something. Especially when they were trying, especially when they were trying to make it seem like this conspiracy was like all all encompassing yeah. but everyone was just kind of being quiet about it yeah. you know no i completely agree with that i also and i think that it pointing it out like that really puts it into perspective because for me i think for like the first two acts of this movie it is very much cops suck like cops cops just suck yeah. they don't know how to do their job just like yeah. every true crime thing you realize that serial killers are out there because cops suck. Like they, they just. There's also that one job. line where it feels like they edited it in because they felt like Batman saying he deserved it because he's a cop was too much. Yep. Yep. Because they said like because he's a cop, and then he had a weird pause, and he went too far. Yeah. And it's like oh, that was weird. Like it yeah. just feels like they edited it in because they were afraid of people getting mad about whatever they were going to say when they were already going to get mad about yeah. Catwoman's line anyways. Well, see, and that's the thing that, like, I think, like, I appreciate Matt Reeves in the two, in the, pretty much everything up to that scene that you mentioned, Hannah, where it is, you know, here are the good cops of Gotham. Um, Because I do think everything up from there, you're seeing the irreverence towards the police and that it is not, like, it's not just the underbelly that is bad. It's the whole damn thing. Um, And so you're right, that undercuts it quite a bit. Um, cause Jim Gordon is always going to be the quote unquote good cop for the most mm-hmm. part. And I have no problem with Jim exactly. Gordon specifically exactly. being the good cop. Well, that's what I was going to say. I really wish they had done what you said. They had just like maybe the six cops that Jim trusts and they were the ones that were there, not the whole precinct. Because yeah, the whole there was like 40 cars there. And then also... Oz was just gonna do mob shit in front of all of those cops. Yeah, it's one of those things too where like the most cops we see is from the funeral scene Mm -hmm. and even then that's not a ton and so when you have like that same amount show up at the end you're like well these are the good ones I'm like okay so where are the bad ones? Yeah. Like these are all these are literally all the ones that we've seen in the entire movie. So where are they? Yeah and it's like the same faces too. And if like you could have used um uh, what's the the one cop that has like most of the speed? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I thought it was Martinez, but oh, Mar- it's Martinez, one of them. Martinez. Yeah. It, it, it's it's a generic uh, cop last name in a lot of ways. A lot of these cops, but um, yeah, but generic a, New York City cop name. You could introduce Montoya that way. You could re- introduce Bullock that way. You could introduce uh, uh, any any of the Goth- uh, Gotham Central characters that way. Uh, and then then establish them and move them into whatever Matt Reeves wanted to do with the spinoff show, which is now an Arkham show, but we can talk about it later. Um, now that, I'm hearing that there's two spinoff shows? 
Yeah, one's with the penguin, but that one's still not the PD one. He says the PD one spun into the Arkham thing. Um, yeah, I thought the penguin one and the PD one were going to be the same so show. So did I. Well, I guess we'll see. But um, but but yeah, I think that's where he kind of fails because he has all these actually like quote unquote good cop characters from the comics that he could have just made Gordon's squad of good cops and like five or six cops outside of Falcone's place would have been enough to make that scene still work. I think. Yeah. If anything, I think it makes it work more because you realize that, like, I don't know. Like how deep it goes. Yeah, one, how deep it goes. And then I also think, like, one of the important takeaways of the film, like, it's it's hopeful, but it's hopeful in a way that isn't everything's going to be fixed. It's, It's hopeful in a way that everything is deeply broken and you have to step up to fix it. And I think... Like, that just would have been better if you realized, no, Gotham PD is extremely broken, and, like, these six people are, like, the only people who are, like, working to fix it. It would have wonders, more Army wonders if the reason he kind of did that, and, I mean, we're just kind of assuming now, is he wanted that later shot that would only work if all these cops were there, of all those cops swarming uh, yeah. uh, uh, Paul Dano's character and also, like, swarming the apartment. Like, you only get that if you yeah. have all these cops already in the area. Which is very visually interesting. Yeah, it's a very cool scene, like, establishing and everything. Also, um, like, do you think, I mean, he was picking at it, but did he, like, order the latte? He was like, could you put a little question mark in it? Oh, I think he did that himself. He's a weirdo. That's not how lattes work. Like, if you yeah, put a straw in it, it's just gonna, like... <laughs> he, okay. Whatever. This, That's, this man, I'm sorry. This I went to coffee school, too. Starbucks. Like, he looks like a man who worked at Starbucks for, like, a, a six months, and they're like, hey... Hit on your coworker. We need you to leave. Like you followed her home. You're yeah. a fucking creep. That's what this man looks like. Um, something I really liked. Uh, that's still like just one one last thing about the cops. I really like the one cop's delivery when Selena's trying to get out of the city, and he goes, "Lady, there's bombs going off every time." Like in, internally, I want to laugh really hard at that line because he delivers it so passionately, <laughs> and and I'm like. That man, he's that, that's that's a good egg right there. <laughs> Most of the cop characters, including Jim Gordon, are just really going for like the noir cop, and yes. I fucking love it. Jeffrey yeah. Wright went so noir with it, like Humphrey Bogart doubled down, like like the way he turned his head when he's talking to someone, and like ah, uh, it's it's so good. It's very good. It's very very good. And I also think like on like the noir topic the the thumb drive joke is just so perfect it's one of the funniest things i've like ever associated with batman that i've seen it's so good it's so so good and i and i think that's maybe part of another thing that's movie kind of disconnected with noir as a genre is i think still like alive uh someone also watches a ton of noir stuff um but the humor in it's so dry that sometimes when you're in a grim dark mood or a noir mood, like you don't hit, you don't hear the humor because you're so engaged with that darkness and that grittiness. And we're kind of trained by Marvel and even like to a latter extent, even the Snyder stuff has like jokey jokes. I mean, um, just look at all of Aquaman. Yeah. Pitbulls in yeah. Africa in a, like that in itself is humorous. Yeah. And like even in Birds of Prey and Suicide Squad, um, like they're, they're jokey jokes. They're not like, uh, like little light moments in a movie that's just real dark. Um, yeah, there's so, like set up punchline in those movies. It's not yeah, just like so a little bit of levity. I get why the humor might have bounced off some people too. 
Yeah, but I, mean, I do think this movie's super funny. I think you're, like, really correct, because it was one of those things where, like, people were like, oh my god, Nightmare Alley was just, oh, that sucked a lot out of me. That was just traumatic. And I was like, yeah, it's really, really dark and really, really sad. It's also really funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In parts, but, like, you have to know that that's what it is. And, and dark humor doesn't land for everybody. Yeah, that's true, too. Um, Especially, I, like, seeing that disgusting-ass thumb. yeah. Oh, it's, it's so good. I, I, and again, it's, it's Jeffrey Wright delivering a line, oh, this man's hilarious. Like, yeah, that's a, like the, one of the best line deliveries of the movie, and it's so like just noir. Like It's it's goofy on purpose, but it's delivered in such a serious tone. Speaking of goofy but serious, uh, uh, Colin Farrell deserves an, an Oscar. Like, I don't like doing the whole, like, oh, comic book movie deserves Oscar thing, but like, he was glorious as Oswald Cobblepot. He was so fucking good. Oh, he good. was having so much fun. He was having so much fun just like hamming it up the whole time. The no habla espanol part is the that funniest made fucking me thing. So happy. <laughs> El Rata. El Rata, do you hear yourselves? Do yeah, I think you barely Spanish? notice it. But the second time Alfred points it out, he's like, his Spanish is a little bad, but like he doesn't make it clear that he's calling out the L part. But yeah, yeah. like, and, oh and my I, god, I, just I him that's... yelling at them! Like, do you not, do you not know the difference between L and La? <laughs> so I think good. Penguin's the most quotable out of this entire movie, which is pretty great too. And he should be because, like, even Batman Returns, Penguin's the most quotable in Batman Returns. Um, I, I think my favorite Penguin line delivery is when uh, Batman's uh, talking to him first in the Iceberg Lounge, and he goes, "Who is this girl? I didn't even know about a murder." He's like, "What murder? The mayor." He goes. Oh, that's the mayor. <laughs> like, like, of course he knew. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was so clearly yeah, lying. visually, yes. Uh, it's, it's, exactly. I still can't believe that's Colin <laughs> Farrell. Like, I've watched, again, I've seen this movie seven times, and I cannot see it in there. and be perfect. Yeah, the makeup team think, like, also deserves the an award. The reason the Batman works as a movie Just for the is nose. because I don't think Matt Reeves cared about any movie that came before his, which is good, because he's really un unrestricted by that and i also like visually yeah absolutely he's born to be the penguin it works because he in like he knows these characters in and out he knows what they can be he knows how to play with them and he knows how to twist them and i think that that's what makes it really beautiful and i i i find it really hard to see that in a lot of the recent Batman movies, like, I mean, and I, I don't hate them. Like, Nolan's Batman is, yep. is good, the first two. The third one's atrocious. But, like, I don't think Zack Snyder understood Batman. I don't think Nolan even understood Batman. I think Nolan knew how to make a really good movie, is what Nolan knew how to do. And then I think... Exactly. Exactly. But all of this honestly reminds me of Tim Burton Batman. It reminds it reminds me of Keaton. It reminds me of taking the pieces of the characters that we know and love and accentuating it and playing with it. And also not forgetting that Gotham is a character in and of itself. Like I think one of the reasons Penguin really works is because of the iceberg lounge as a backdrop. I think one of the reasons that Gordon really yeah, no one has no one knows how to build a film and like make it mainstream appeal for sure. Keeping things whole, you don't end up with issues where like uh, one of our friends like said, uh, 
when Snyder made Batman, he just wanted to do the scene with Batman with the spear over Superman. He didn't care how he got there. He was just going to get there. Whereas I feel like Reeves very much cared about story beats and plot and then built everything else. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. No, totally. Yeah. It, he, it kind of feels like he built the plot as he went in a way instead of like going with an ending and getting there. Which it sounds like that's what he how he's approaching like, the sequels too. He's like, I have no idea what I'm going to do. I just know I ha- I wanted to have a, a feeling. I want something people can latch onto, and that's the, I think the most important thing. It doesn't really. I hate I hate trilogies in a way right now, and this is maybe because I watch too many video essays about trilogies. But I hate trilogies in a way that like none of them can can continuously keep the same feeling because they're just trying to to push through it instead of just tackling each movie individually as its own thing. Yeah, like Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, I agree that. Yeah. Well, I also think, like, trilogies suffer when you don't have the same director doing them all. Yeah, like Star Wars. Like, <laughs> exactly. Um, And I think, like, Nolan stuff honestly feels like two different people made it. Like, the first two movies work really good together. The third one is just, it feels if, like if, Michael Bay shit. Um, if you if want anybody me to be says honest, that this movie loves cops too much, they need to rewatch The Dark Knight, right? Yeah. Yes. No. Yeah. So that's what I kept saying. I was like, I appreciated this because I feel like there was at least an attempt to show that Batman doesn't like the cops because he kind of really doesn't in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, and they don't like him either. It's kind of a mutual exactly. thing. Exactly. It's an antagonistic relationship. And then you have the Nolan films, which is very much just copaganda, like nonstop. I mean, the beginning of the Dark Knight Rises, yeah. Batman's retired. Like they might as well be working for well, Batman. Yeah, Batman's retired because he has nothing to do. Yeah, because the cops are so great at their and, jobs. Like, the Dent Act is so perfect. Like, the, it's a perfect legislation that it just keeps criminals off the street. Um, uh, this, uh, you kind of, like, touched upon the, something that I, I've been kind of ranting and raving about in my, like, mad scramblings on Twitter when it comes to the Batman movies through my rewatching recently. And that is all the movies from the the Burton movies, even to the end of the Schumacher era, were really entranced in adapting the comic. Uh, even though the Schumacher ones are campy in a way, they're adapting comics from the se- the like the sixties and seventies. As someone who's just reread a lot of those, Batman Forever, Batman Forever is, is a perfect is, film, and I will uh, hear no slander. Okay, <laughs> I'm with you. Batman Forever is the perfect end to that that those first two movies, making it a trilogy. I think. I think they were still trying to make like a cohesive narrative in, in Batman Forever, and I think it, it makes it a really good Bruce Wayne trilogy there. Um, just narratively, yeah, it's, it's super works. All about Bruce just dealing with his identities, and, and Forever deals with it finally, him accepting both. And I could go on a long rant about that, but I'm not going to. Um, but then you have the Nolan movies who love the mythology of Batman and love the idea of Batman being a real hero, but just do not care about comics. And they also don't love Batman. Like, he yeah. has no agency. Jesse and I were talking about this earlier because of a TikTok that he sent me. But, like, <laughs> uh, he has, like, zero agency in those movies. Like, the villain is what drives the movies and his motivation, like, every time. Like, he's always reacting. He's never doing anything to try to stop it. He's just, like, reacting to what happens. 
and then the and then the Snyder Batman is so focused on the art of it, which is great. I think the art should like, heavily inspire, but like that's all that inspired. Like the the story didn't, just the art did, and so that's why you have great. I think Snyder yeah. has some of the some of the best Batman visuals of all time. That warehouse fight seems really cool. Um, the the him gri- uh, grippling through the city during the Doomsday fight looks dope, but Batman is kind of boring because he has nothing to do but just be Bruce Wayne, Batman, James Bond, super spy. Like, and then in Justice League, he has nothing to do but just be a mediator. Like, it's frustrating how little Batman has to do when he's so key to those dynamics. Especially, like, he's kind of the leader of the Justice League. And he, there he was just kind of like, hey, I'm the only one who knows and I all have of money. you. <laughs> and, yeah, and I'll pay you. And I'll pay for um, stuff. And, and so it's, it's just nice to have Reeves kind of, like, first embrace comics in a modern era because we haven't had that since the four movies. So now we have Reeves who loves comics from the 90s onwards. And that's some of the best Batman storytelling that has been done. Um and then also is still enamored with making it as real as possible. And he's not obsessed with Frank Miller. Yeah. Who I believe ruined Batman, but I can go on for an hour about that. We Do we have anything else? That oh, was sorry. quite I, a I, silence. I, I didn't want to keep going. I didn't <laughs> want to keep going. I did not want to keep, I didn't want to keep yelling about Frank Miller. So I just, I was like, I'll let someone um, else talk. I want to talk about uh, the... Vampire in the Room, Robert Pattinson. Um, I think on the seventh viewing is when everything finally clicked for me. Not that I didn't love him before. I'm saying the I I was really hyper focused, even though my chair was rocking like crazy because I saw it on the ND. Um, and there's such a subtlety because he's in Cal so much of this movie, like ninety eight percent of the the screen time Robert Pattinson have he's in Cal. Um. There is such a small subtlety that he does with his face and the bottom half in his eyes, and it's just so good when you start to really pick up on it uh, that I, I'm just enamored. Because, like, by the time halfway through The Dark Knight happens, Christian Bale's just open mouth the entire time. Yeah. I, I agree, and I think that, like, that... Because I, I talked about the Batman on another podcast, and... Somebody had said that, like, oh, yeah, well, the dead parents aren't here in this film. And I was like, well, we don't see them, but they're everywhere in this film. Everybody's parents are dead. We don't stop talking about orphans. And I think one of the best things about this Batman is that he is emotive. And he cares, even if he's not saying it. Like, that moment when he sees the mayor's son, like, just sitting on his bed being talked to... And the camera goes from, like, that sad child to him. Like, that's a moment of connection and, like, sadness that I think Pattinson does such a good job of selling. Yeah, And then again, we see it in the funeral. And, like, that's, like, when people talk about their favorite Batman moments, like, mine aren't from comics. Mine is Batman with Ace in Justice League Unlimited. Because there is an empathy and a vulnerability in Batman that I don't think a lot of people understand in like that, how that can be made to be a good story. Yeah. Right. Like it's what allows you to build the Batman, the Bat family, because he can care so deeply about people. And when you just take an approach where it's just grim, dark for grim, dark sake, and he doesn't want to be around people, like 
Grumpy Bruce becomes Grumpy Bruce because he has lost everybody around him and he, like, literally can't expend any more, like, emotional connection with people. And then... And I think Pattinson gets that. Yeah, and then, like, Grumpy Bruce is just an arc. Like, it's not his endgame. Like, Grumpy Mm -hmm. Bruce gets fixed when everyone comes back and helps him not be Grumpy Bruce anymore. I think it's one of my most frustrating kind of, like, after effects of the... Bruce Tim influence of Batman in the last 20 years or gosh 30 years now um is that after the redesigns in the animated series and then Justice League and Batman uh beyond Bruce is just a grumpy man he's just non-stump grump and the only person that ever seems to get a rise out of him other every once in a while the, the Bat family is Wonder Woman and it's kind of frustrating because you like he's not that he wasn't that, and then all of a sudden, that's all he became for a really long time. And I think he became that. I think you're completely right, because I think what people did was they're like, oh yeah, Grumpy Bruce is cool. We can do dark things with Grumpy Bruce. But like, Bruce, Tim's Grumpy Bruce, like, he loves Terry. He loves him so much. And like, that's why he's grumpy. Like, you have to have... You have to have... I don't know how to explain it. Like, you have yeah. to care a whole lot to get to that level. Yeah, and even and that, I Bruce that had lost people. Because, like, you can see in Batman Beyond, like, Dick exactly. exists, Barbara exists, and there's bad blood there. And then you find out that there's yeah. some weird fucked up Bruce Tim bullshit. Uh, but, I mean, hey, there's never a Bruce Tim story without it. it, it it's also one of those things, too, yeah. like, when... Like, I'm doing this even though I hate that people do this. Because I know this movie's not trying to be the normal movie, so I don't know why we compare it so heavily, but when we're comparing character differences, I think this is the one of the way is Bruce in um the Dark Knight trilogy doesn't really grow up until the the last third of Dark Knight Rises. Um he's in all of the Dark Knight he thinks he's gonna get with um gosh, what is the character he made for that movie? Rachel. Rachel? He thinks he's gonna get with Rachel even though Rachel's clearly basically like Bruce I, I don't care about you anymore in that way. Like, we're good friends, but leave. Um, it, and the Batman Begins, he's so hyper-focused that he just doesn't care about anybody but himself. And then Rachel shows up, and he's like, I kind of care because you're pretty. Um, and then and the, the Dark Knight Rises, he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't care about Alfred's feelings or uh, like anybody else's feelings until that last third where he's like, you know what, maybe I should retire like Alfred wants too. Maybe I should give my tech to the cops. Maybe, maybe I should be happy. And it's like, oh wait, thirty-nine-year-old uh, Bruce Wayne is now twenty-five. Like he has the maturity of a twenty-five-year-old. Finally, like it's weird. It's weird that like the more the older I get, the more I disconnect with that Bruce Wayne when he was so cool when I was in high school. Yeah. Well, I think that's just because like you're actually looking at it with like a critical lens versus just looking at pretty lights yeah. and bats. And and this Bruce, yes. even though he is so hyper focused on vengeance in the Batman, he has a maturity of like, uh, like that the scene in the hospital where he goes, "I have conquered all fear. Yeah. I don't I don't care if I die. I just don't." But the thought, the mere thought that I might lose someone I care about, brings me back, and I'm like, that that scene yeah. like people are like uh, there were some people like they should have killed Alfred they should have pulled the trigger on that I'm like no because you miss Fuck you no. miss this this such a good juicy emotional scene yeah. that you would not get anywhere else in this movie because there's no other place for it 
Well, then also, if they killed Alfred, the, one of the last things Bruce ever said to him would have been, you're yeah. not my father, and I would not have been okay yeah. with that. You can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do think, too, like, on that point, I think that, like, this is one of the reasons that this Bruce is, I think, uncomfortable for some people who are used to seeing Batman as perfect, and I think captures Batman great because I'm, I'm gonna be honest like I think a lot of what we see in the Batman is you think that you see like Bruce thinks he knows what he's doing he thinks that he has it all figured out he thinks that he doesn't care I mean in a way he's a little suicidal mm-hmm. in that way where he's like I don't care what happens to me I'm gonna keep doing this and this is all that matters I mean like he doesn't step away from somebody who has a yeah. bomb on his neck. Like there are all of these things where, like, which also, what is that suit made that, of? God the man, damn. Yeah, yeah. The man that was a put lot. Up his gauntlets <laughs> until like like three milliseconds before it explodes. Yeah, uh, that's plot armor. Um, that's what it's, it's good made plot of. armor. Um, that <laughs> looks real good when it walks. But um, but yeah, like there is a lot of that. But in all of that, like, wanton, like, my life doesn't matter, just the thing that I'm working towards, there's also, like, really deep sadness, not in necessarily that he isn't achieving a goal, but he's, like, he's sad about watching people around him. And I think that that's something that is really important Because as the movie goes on as well, it's very much that he starts to not like the way people respond to him. He starts not to like the way people see him. And I think that that last line from like the the Riddler crony being like, I'm vengeance is really like the, oh no, this is what I've done. Like, I know that I meant it to be this thing, but I'm going to take this moment of growth and realize that that it has done the opposite. And, like, I think that the introspective nature and, like, the, just the care. Like, this Batman cares a whole lot. Like, I just keep saying that. But, like, that's what it is. Like, it's not just. No, but that's, like, super important. I'm going to go beat up, like, I'm going to go beat up these people because I have to and I can. It's very much like, no, he thinks he's doing it for a good reason when he's shown that it's not a good reason. He's like, oh, no. What am I doing? And I think that that's important. And it goes from a Batman who's so. This is something that I think is really something that could have been clarified more, but I picked it up on it because I just know the character well. And it's like early Bruce is so hyper focused; he gets tunnel vision so easily, and because of that, a lot of things mess up. Uh, he 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 like that going to Batman Year One. The the reasons Bruce uh, fails in Year One at all is because he's he has tunnel vision, he gets so hyper focused. Um, and when you get to the Morrison Batman, who's Bat God, Morrison makes Bat God basically down the road. Uh, their version of Batman it is not hy- as hyper focused anymore because that Batman can see the big picture. He understands how the life works <laughs> in a way because he has the Bat family, he has all this. Um, and so you have this. You see, get to watch Bruce go from I don't even care about taking out organized crime. I just like punching thugs. To uh, yeah, maybe I should have been taking care of this a long time ago because it's so obvious that this was what, what was going on in my city. Yeah, and then, like, also with the vengeance stuff, like, the last scene is especially where I think 
not only he learns, but just like Kate was saying earlier, like the character of Gotham learns that that's not what Batman is. Like Batman is hope. And like, even to the point of like, he's literally baptized in that scene. Like if you want to get really film school bullshit with it, like he literally gets dropped into water and then decides that he's going to be hope like at that moment. And then he swims over to a person who does not believe in him, who we've seen like criticizing him on TV and she's the first person that reaches out and then the rest of the city follows her out of like the water and onto yeah. the rooftop. And then we hear the narration of him deciding that. Like we get to see that visually even before we hear it. And then even having him like accelerate the motorcycle at the very end before the credits cut. It's him like accelerating towards the future and like accelerating towards change and I think that's really visually interesting. Yeah. And then the music driving a lot of the plot as well like how you hear the two notes of Ave Maria and then you hear the Riddler cough and then you hear the car accelerating and then you hear people screaming and like you don't see any of that but that's just audio and like music and I just think that's it's such a well-made blend of everything where it's not just oh wow the characters are really good oh the visuals are really good oh the score is really good it's just all like fucking fantastic Uh, another and I'll shut up after this for a bit because I feel like I'm but another thing about like Bruce just missing the big picture is when he when he finds Selena Kyle for the first time and he sees her in the Iceberg Lounge, there's a, an exterior shot of when she's waiting for a taxi for that first time. There's an exterior shot of the whole city, and you see the Riddler up in the apartment that he's living in, right in front of the Iceberg Lounge, taking pictures. And oh, the wow. thing is, Bruce probably would have noticed that if he wasn't so hyper focused on Selena. <laughs> Well, at the end, too, when you're in his apartment, he has pictures from, like, the exact same yeah, angle. Yeah, like, all the pictures are from um, that That Bruce was that watching her yeah. apartment. Well, no, like, even, like, the where Bruce was watching Selena, like, change, which, by the way, creep, um, you can see that the Riddler went there and took pictures of her apartment, like, on the wall. Um like exactly where he was too. And so like, that's oh, wow. horrifying. And, and I think that when they get to the apartment and he sees that the ruler's been there, there's a line that like, um, that Gordon has where he, he's like, he's been here the whole time. And you, in the, the way that Bruce is, and again, this is just me inferring a lot. And unless I have Matt Reeves tell me like, yeah, that's how we actually planned this. I don't know for sure if this is what their intention was, but this is what I picked up. Um, you have Bruce kind of like shrugging that off because he's mad that he missed it. Yeah, like he literally could have There's just There's so many times that someone gives him a clue and he's like, I cannot believe that I missed this. Because again, he's so hyperfocused. Like, they go after the penguin because of course the penguin looks like he would be the rat. They don't even consider Falcon yeah. because Falcon's too clean looking. And then they don't even, like, it, it kind of, the whole, like, him missing, like, the bigger picture of it, like, it not only drives home how inexperienced he really is with, like, actually knowing what's going on it drives home a lot of the parallels that they're putting together with the riddler and batman and that they finally like you know tie up in the arkham asylum scene when riddler thought that they were working together the whole time but they work the same like they're even visually introduced the same the first time we see riddler is he's cloaked in shadow and then he comes out of nowhere the first time we see batman he's cloaked in shadow and he comes out of nowhere which by the way uh Greg Frazier, the cinematographer on this, did a fucking fantastic job. Uh, I know he did like Dune and Rogue One and stuff too, um, but he's just been 
knocking it out of the park um, lately. I think my fit, especially I think with my this favorite movie. audience experience out of the time is that first time I saw because I saw the IMAX preview first, and the lights didn't turn off with the movies, which. Whatever, I mean, it's one of those things. But everybody was starting to get annoyed because you're like, we know there's tension supposed to be building, but the lights are still on. Um, and so it gets to the scene where uh, the man goes to go pick up the phone and the lights finally turn off and everybody starts clapping because like, oh, thank, finally the lights are turned off. But then we see the Riddler and everybody just stops. Just com- like, it's just instant- instantaneously, everybody just shut up. It's just like, shut up because it's just so tense as soon as he appears. And then, I guess... Yeah, I oh, think, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go. I was talking enough. Uh, no, I was going to say, like, I think one of the things that I really appreciate, like, every little detail is so thought out in this movie. And I've talked about it on another podcast, but um, I my knee-jerk was to get really mad at the Galavetta face paint that they have on the, the first, like, group of guys that Bruce fights in the very beginning. Because I'm like, why are we doing this again? This is dumb. You wouldn't actually wear this on Halloween. Um, But I give it a pass because... um, So, wearing Galavetta face paint, the reason that you do it, especially um, for Day of the Dead, on Day of the Dead, is because when you're celebrating, you want your loved ones to not be scared by you. You want them to feel at home. And so you paint your face so they think you are skeletons as well. Yeah, so that you look dead, right? As well. Exactly. Well, one of the ways of face painting is the half face. And the half face is to represent a liminal space, the space between two points and this small, small, small line between being dead and being alive. Um, And so I actually thought that it was so, it was really well done with the character that we see that's kind of pushing back against the gang the whole time. Who also plays Tim Drake in the Titan show. Sorry. I was just really excited about that. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, I didn't know that they had a brown person be Tim Drake in the Titan show. Yeah, he's um canonically half black, half Chinese. That's dope. Um so and so like when you use that, you're signifying that like this is a space in between. And so I really uh, I mean, I may just be putting this on to Matt Reeves and giving him more credit than what it's due. But like that very in that that like that intentional choice to have that character be half, like that was really well done. Yeah. And it lets me accept the whole thing. Because there are little choices that get made throughout the film. And I think that's just an example of it where like people may not think much about it, but you're still making sure every single piece of your film tells a story. Yeah, like even just the like even if you don't have that cultural experience with it, like you can still kind of tell, like, oh, he's only half painted. He's not like fully jumped in like he's kind of like this is like Mm -hmm. his like trial or whatever um and then like going to like how everything feels so uh like tight-knit like visually even um at the end he definitely injected venom into himself right i I just want to make sure we're all on the same page there I it's, thought it was it's just because it's green though and like bruce used venom first like neon green it's like please yeah, there's a whole arc where Bruce is, like, addicted oh. to Venom, like, especially when he's younger. Yeah. Oh, I had no idea. I just if thought it was a general If you ever want to read weapon. a really fun Denny O'Neill Batman story that takes place sometime between years one and three, Batman Venom's very good. So good. Um, okay. But yeah. um, But then when he stands up, 
there are neon green lights that we have not seen ever in any of the shots up there, right framing his head. And as he slows his breathing, and as he's like kind of realizing that he's talking to Jim and not trying to fight, those lights start to fade out. And like, now that's I, just me ooh. being extra on my bullshit. Obviously, Matt Reeves didn't confirm I any agree of that, with you, but by like the way, on those green lights, but those are just exit signs. I know, but we haven't seen them at all before that. And then right when he injects, we suddenly see one oh, beneath yeah. him, and then we see and, two and behind him out of nowhere. And they come back up as he's. Yeah, they're like breathing with him. It's very good. If it was an accident, that's an incredible coincidence. Oh man, <laughs> like I still have so many thoughts about this movie that we haven't, and we're like we're an hour in. <laughs> um, I'm just trying to think like where to go next because I could keep talking about Batman. I mean, I I would say like uh, like kind of going from this point like. Another one of the things that is meticulously done really yeah. is the music. Like, I think as much as this movie is a success because of the actors, and I think, I think, Hannah, you said it, like, it's everything kind of, like, working all together. But, like, the music propels you towards each spike and each, like, and each yeah. valley of the film. Like, it pulls, it pushes you up, drops you down, and coasts you so well. Like, there's so much, like, life and fear. And, like, the use of, like, strings in the orphanage in a way that is, like, fit for, like, a Conjuring film was amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, you see so many different genre elements in the film score. And each of them feels like the heartbeat of what it's trying to show. And all of it feels natural, too. Yes, it does. It 100% um, dies. Especially the cowboy sting when he comes out of the car in the upside down shot, when it literally feels like a western. Yes. That, that, well, I want to <laughs> so touch upon the cowboy thing you just Um, But the the thing about the score that's just so nice, and maybe because I'm so used to just the ways, even though Michael Giacchino did uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, and the Doctor Strange theme in Spider-Man No Way Home is excellent. <laughs> um. Yeah, Michael Giacchino's um, so good. I know that Danny Elfman's doing the next Doctor, uh, Doctor Strange movie, so. But uh, I like that the three main themes are the three main themes. The Riddler one, the Batman one, and the Catwoman one. And he intersplices them entirely through the soundtrack and remixes them through each track. So the, th- the, the, theme, the three main themes are just through the entire soundtrack nonstop. And some people are like, it's repetitive. I'm like, no, it's a theme. <laughs> No, it's a yeah. leitmotif. Like, it's literally a musical leitmotif, and every piece of the orchestra gets to play the main parts of the theme at different parts, and it it's it means something every time. And I just don't think it's done as often, maybe, anymore. Maybe I'm just not paying enough attention to scores like I used to, but I know it used to happen all the time back in the day until scores became pretty generic nowadays. Yeah, I think scores just haven't, like, di- directorially or, like, I guess studio wise, they're not focused on as much. They're just like, I don't know, put some fucking music there. But when they actually pay attention to like making it work with the story, it works so well. And then like you also you look at Michael Giacchino's work and then you realize that he's done basically everything that uh, anyone ever talks about, like the incredible theme. And yeah, and he started in video games, like Disney video games. 
um, and like doing like Call of Duty and Medal of Honor and stuff. Um, but like he did like a lot of Disney Pixar stuff. He's done just a lot of music that like everyone's just like, oh, that's the theme, you know? It's just uh, it's just interesting to see that kind of stuff. And then I think like the little details from like the Foley folks, like making like the little like clanging noise of the buckles when he walks into a shot. Mm -hmm. That's what I was about to say about the cowboy. Is like, like he it's it sounds spurs. like he has clothes yeah. on, but it's just the costume being so heavy and full of just garbage. It's so good. Well, he also looks like he has metal soles on too, so it's just them like clanking against the ground. But yeah, it works the same way where it's like. And you see his shoes at one point, like it's literally like a he, cowboy boot. He's literally a gunslinger while he's walking. In the last fight, because he drops down, pulls out two grappling pistols, pulls two guides, and use that momentum mm -hmm. to swing back up onto the banister. And if you cannot tell, you cannot tell me that's not the coolest thing Batman's ever done in a movie. Is we literally hang two guys up and use that same momentum to pull himself back into the same position he was in. Ah. Uh, just, like, everything was so good. Like, even the fight choreography, like... And it didn't... It didn't do, like, the Marvel thing where... And, like, I love the Marvel movies. We all know that. But it's just, like, the, every time there's a punch, there's a cut, and it's so disorienting. Like, you can feel the fights in this movie. And, like, knowing yeah. that the hallway scene now was done entirely... Just a blanks and flares, and, like, it was Robert Pattinson walking down the hallway just being shot a bunch with blanks. It's like, ah! It's, yeah. It's scary, it but it's so, so cool. Happy. And I think that... And the use of Chiroscuro in that scene is so fucking good, just the, like, contrast of light and dark being the only way we yes. see anything. Mm-hmm. Fucking fantastic. Well, that, that's what I was gonna say, too. Like, two things. One, Matt Reeves knows how to make a visually dark movie without making you squint at the screen to see yeah. anything yeah because it's all about contrast like, it's not a ju it's not just exactly. about being dark exactly like and on top of that and i, I if if you know anybody listening follows me i talk a lot about action and specifically american like western action films and like their inability to understand that action tells a story um Matt Reeves understands how I, I to don't use think action. There was, I don't think there's anybody more <laughs> Every... frustrated than me, except for you, Kate, about how bad the Snake Eyes action was when it should have been so good. That was that was a punch to the gut because I know and all those actors. Ev everything else about the movie is so well. good. Um, yeah, um, but for this one, I think what I really appreciated was Matt Reeves' new. Like, one of the big camera issues that you have with American action films is that they tend to go really, really close in on the fighters, which is a trick that you do to showcase, like, your star's face, but also to hide a lot of the body movements. And then they couple that really close, closed-in shot with a bunch of edits, which is to forgive a lot of the body swapping that happens. And to, like, forgive that, like, what? some of the actors don't know how to fight sometimes. Exactly. And... What Matt Reeves does is he he lets pretty much all of his sequences breathe. You get to see whether it's Pattinson in the suit or not. You get to see the person in the suit doing the action 
in a way that doesn't cut any of it. Like when he chooses to cut a fight, it's because he's changing the perspective fully on how you're watching the fight. He's not doing it to hide moves, which I think is really, really good because in certain sequences, especially when it comes to like the first one of him fighting in the club, um, and even when he's fighting the gang members, the very, very first sequence that we see him fight in, all of that, you like y'all said, you feel the fight. You hear the fight. You get to see everything connect. You know where everything is coming from. And you don't get your brain scrambled by shaky cam or fast edits. And it just, it feels nice. It feels good. In a way, it kind of felt like the really big, like, dynamic, like, comic book splash pages. Like, when you have, like, a really dope fight going on. And yeah. I really appreciated it. Yeah. Um, so many of, like, the key shots of this movie were literally just, like, double spreads. It's so good. Yeah. I think I talked about everything I want to talk um, about. I feel like we haven't talked. Kravitz is Selena Kyle. You mean the way I reached out for her when I saw her on the screen? Um, I'm I, sorry. I got a, I got a little out of hand. I am a huge proponent <laughs> that, and I will say this because I haven't seen the Halle Berry Catwoman, so I will not include that because I, I have not seen it, so I cannot attest to that one. But I'm a huge. I'm a it's huge trash. proponent that we have never had a bad like, not action great. Catwoman out of all the things I've seen. <laughs> um, I also hate I, Anne Hathaway. As yeah, well. I'm not a huge oh, fan of Anne Hathaway I, I, I totally get that, but I think for what the Nolan movies are doing and the Selena Kyle they were trying to do, I think she works pretty well. There's the scene um, in The Dark Knight Rises where she's uh, doing that by where she's giving Bruce's fingerprints to the bag. And she... One makes them call on the senator's phone without even like paying attention to that, and then as the as they are shooting up the place, she's screaming. And as soon as everybody leaves, she's just back to normal. It's like yeah, that's that's very Selena Kyle. That's very good. There's like I also I think I hate her because she just doesn't know how to be sexy and try very fair, hard yeah. in that movie, and I don't like it because it's very overplayed. Um, yeah. Also, what I I guess I forgot about this, but I just saw me note. I guess they never said what her maiden name was. And I'm not sure how the Canes might be related to the Arkhams in the whole family tree thing, but they seemed oh. pretty explicit that Martha was an Arkham and not a Cain. Uh, I yes. believe she's an Arkham in the... Um, okay. I mean, that's the Jeff... Mm. John that's, I mean, that's where they're pulling... I mean, I guess it pulling, doesn't super matter. Um, all of Alfred is basically from... Um, yeah, in, all, in Earth, in Earth one, also, her did, maiden name. Did he say circus or service? I'm sorry, I mean circus if I said service by accident. Circus? Um, no, did Alfred say it when he was doing the cipher? Oh, yeah, he said sorry, circus. Sorry, I just kind of came out of my... Because I thought he said service, service the yeah. first time, and I was like, okay, I guess he could have been like a code breaker when he was like with the special air service or yeah, whatever. Yeah, it seems like they're pulling a lot of but like... Do circus performers do a lot of code breaking? That's a, That confused me. That line confused me. But... um. But yeah, I, I I guess yeah they but, are pulling yeah, a lot from Cat Earth Woman. One. Sorry. Sorry, back to Catwoman, the original. Yeah, there's topic. a lot of lot of Earth One stuff <laughs> being pulled into this too, so that's why the yeah back to Catwoman. Um, no, Zoe Kravitz though is like I I, I love Michelle Fe Michelle Pfeiffer a lot, but Zoe. <laughs> yeah, she's the best Selena Kyle as like a Catwoman comic stand. Like she's the best dis like 
adaptation of especially like the Joelle Jones yeah. Catwoman, like the more recent stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just she's so good. And also like fuck whoever denied her for like the Dark Knight Rises Catwoman. <laughs> yes. Um, I love her. She I, I think her and Michelle Pfeiffer are one to one for me only because their yeah, Catwoman are doing things. two completely different things. Like, because Michelle Pfeiffer is, like, chaotic and unhinged. And uh, Kravitz's Catwoman is very methodical and very goal-oriented in what she's doing. And I think that those are just, like, those are two different approaches. Um, But I love, love, love everything about Zoe Kravitz. Like, visually, the sh- I'm so happy yeah. they went with the short hair. Yeah. Like, I'm so, so happy. Um, and I just love her dynamic with Bruce. Like, she continually pushes Bruce's buttons and knows how to just completely disarm this man. Yeah. Like, no matter what. And, and me. she's not there, scared to there, do it. I yes. believe that for me, there's only two scenes where she is not in control of everything around her. And that is uh, when they go back to her apartment for the first time. And when, they're, when yeah. she's caught off guard at the drug bust or the drug the drug. Those two scenes are the only two scenes where she's not in control and she gains control of those scenes. Yeah, even when, like, she's being strangled, like, she's still kind of, like, the dominant person in that scene event. Like, even if she's not for five seconds, she becomes, yeah, she's driving the scene. um, And I think my two favorite moments, of course, are with Batman, but the first time they fight and he, like, grabs her to keep her quiet... Oh, it's, it's oh my god! So Buy a girl good. dinner like, first. You, oh my! When he threw her on the table, I like let out. I a, just, <laughs> I just same. love that you like, can watch her start to struggle and then realize, you know, what? I kind of like this <laughs> when when he's like her. Well, yeah. she, she also realizes that he's not trying yeah, to hurt and her, like the, and he's trying to make sure that they're the both safe. And kind of like this is <laughs> this is kind of nice. Look in her eyes as like a, after like two or three struggles, and then like. The, the second one I like is when she's trying to kill Falcone and like her rage there and his like care about how much she's already paid because I think that's a really good line and it's the same kind of line that can be overused I think at some point like the the line from WandaVision it's grief preserving or whatever like people can overuse mm-hmm. that line I think if people attach to it but I do think it's a really good line it's like you've paid enough why do you need to pay more yeah, he says, don't throw your life away. And then she proceeds to say the sexiest line of all of cinema. Don't worry, baby. I got nine of them. And it was so Oh, good. my fucking so God. <laughs> By the way, how much does Bruce have to say that so he's perfect. vengeance for a penguin to just know that he, he calls himself vengeance? And No, I made a note about that. Like, does he like, just, is it like every time? Him, he just calls himself vengeance. Like, that's 100% what he does. Yeah. <laughs> I also feel like Jim gave him kind of a look when he was like, uh, this is what the Batman has to be. And Jim was like, oh, that's really what you call yourself? Like, that, I thought, okay, cool. Like, there's just, like, a look there for a second that feels really nice, because, like, he hasn't said Batman the whole yeah, movie. It's... The only time we've seen it is, like, on the news And TVs. on the letters. And on the letters to the Batman, yeah. But, like, he's he's never called himself, like, the Batman up until that point. And they're like, oh, you actually call yourself that. It's not something that we call you. We thought you called yourself Vengeance. Sorry. Um, the car chase scene is awesome. I don't think we could say anything. I think everybody enjoys the car chase scene, so I don't think there's any, like, thing. 
I just, I feel like Matt Reeves specifically said to himself the words bat out of hell. And then he was like, I'm going to figure out how to make that into a car chase. Matt scene. Reeves just watched the car chase scene from Bullet like a hundred times. He's like, how can I get the Batmobile to sound like that car? And the be- all the best Batmobiles have a jet engine. Um, and the they go to like Matt Reeves doing action too. Like if you watch those Planet of the Apes movies, like he works with like Andy Serkis and that crew. The ape choreography from most of those movies because they most of the apes don't talk. In Man knows character work and how characters should move and act because it's all he did for like the last five years, five or six years is yeah. just do character movement. I don't want us to. I don't want it to. I don't want us to go as long as the movie. Yeah, um, but true. I have two last small things I want to bring up that I really liked, and if anybody else has anything small that they really liked that they want to bring. Up. Um, the the scene between Gordon and and Batman in the police headquarters. Uh, first when Gordon's addressing Batman like Batman's the chief, and it, and then he realizes oh the chief thinks I'm addressing him. <laughs> kind of thing where the chief's like okay you get a few minutes and then gordon looks over and starts addressing the chief like it feels like at first yeah because he's talking to batman saying Let yeah me take i feel care like at first this. he was actually just addressing batman and and he realized oh wait batman's not actually my boss <laughs> um and but in that same <laughs> scene is like you gotta punch me in the face and then bruce gives that little smirk is like i like what you're putting down right now <laughs> also the the like right after that when he's like you could have pulled that punch and he's like i did yeah good, good jokes I think for me, my favorite, I mean, I wouldn't call it small, but I would call it something that people don't necessarily, like, recognize, um, is that it is a pet peeve of mine when I see small women, like, she's, like, Zoe Kravitz is extremely skinny, yeah. but it makes sense because she's a cat burler. Um, but when I see very tiny women take down very large men with ease, because it's not easy. Like, if you watch any action film, one of the best things for me is watching a fighter adapt to their surroundings and learn how to take down somebody that they usually wouldn't be able to. Matt Reeves does this so well with her because she's agile and she's fast. She doesn't stop moving. And, like, you know that she, like, the men aren't flying backwards when she's fighting them. Like, she's wearing them down slowly. And I think that that works so, so, so well because it's showing that, like, she's a competent fighter. And, like, one of the things that I think it robs a lot of female fighters on screen of is the fact that you have to be more strategic. You have to be more thoughtful in where you're going. And we, from the way we see Batman and Selina, like, Selina is very, like, she is thinking two steps ahead continually. Yeah. And I think that you see a lot of that come across in her fighting. So that is something small that I really, really appreciated because she's not just, like, throwing dudes against the wall. Like, she can be overpowered, but she knows that she can be. So she adapts how she fights to it, which I think is something that is really great. Yeah, and even if, like, she does take someone down in, like, two hits, like, they're very, like, targeted, focused hits. Like, it's, like, temple jaw. And it's like, oh, yeah, that totally would just knock someone out, wouldn't it? And then they just kind of crumple. They don't fly yep. back. Yeah. Yep. Um, I think I kind of talked about all my favorite stuff. Um, I liked, I think my favorite stuff was not necessarily the references to the comics outright, but just like, I guess the reverence for them and like just using the little things of it to maybe propel a story potentially down the future. 
like how the reporter that um, Thomas Wayne accidentally had killed was named Edward Elliot, and Hush is like one of the villains, and to- his name is Thomas Elliot, and there's a really good way to have him be motivated against Batman for that because his dad killed his dad. Um, and then like, but also like, there's a whole bunch of different things. Like I, I was talking to Jesse earlier, like as a joke, like what if Mr. Freeze is the next villain? Cause it's flooded Gotham and he's the only one who can stop the flooding cause he's freezing it. Or just the idea that <laughs> like, there's so many man. just stupid things, dumb things that they could do, or just like they could have like, Oh, well this is hit. This is penguins area. This is whatever. Like Arkham city. It like they could just do whatever they want. And I appreciate that they kind of like, Matt Reeves took a bunch of the stuff from the comics and the games and even like the first fight like feels like an Arkham game fight. Yeah. With like 30 yeah. dudes surrounding him and him just kind of flowing in between them. It very much feels like And then like he does the combo yeah. finisher at the end where he uses his electric shock. <laughs> yes. Yeah, his tase it's fist. Very good. And, and yeah. There's yeah, you, you first. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to I was just going to add like or I would just echo like, there is a reverence to the comics without giving us one for one. And I think that is something beautiful that somebody adapting any media can do. Because if you adapt it too literally, you're going to lose, you, you lose an audience who doesn't have the access point 100%. And you also put yourself up, you hold yourself up to a very, like, a much higher fire in that way. Yeah, and you might even um, lose out on an audience. Wrong, yeah, if you get it wrong. Exactly. And if you completely throw it away, then you're not like you're you're not honoring a character and then you lose people that way. And I think what Matt Reeves did was he said, it's very clear Matt Reeves loves Batman. And he was like, these are the things I love about Batman. Like, I think that that's what he did. He sat down and he said, I love X, Y, Z about Batman. I love X, Y, Z about Gordon. I love X, Y, Z about Catwoman. And he decided to make those the driving forces between things and that worked and all of that came from like you said a reverence for yeah. the comments and i think that's what any ultimately like what you said like any person who's adapting something should ultimately try to do and i and i think like the the one thing we really didn't talk about which i think is fine because it's not again it's not super important it's that joker uh tag in in the the is Matt Reeves has been talking about in interviews. He's like, yeah, I don't, I don't have any Joker plans. I just want to show that this city has been lived in, and that things are just happening, and that, and then Batman's been doing stuff. He's like, I don't, I don't. He's like, I don't even know if the Joker's ever gonna show up in another movie. I don't, I don't really care if he does. Kind of is what the vibe I was getting. He's like, I just want people to know, like, these villains just exist, and they're just gonna exist, and like, it doesn't matter if we see them or not. It's here, and I think that's. The best thing about the comics is like all these characters exist in the world and they don't always have to be there, but we know that. Yeah, that's so nice. But then also, if I was Barry Keoghan, I'd be kind of pissed, right? Like, come on, I want to do more. Pay me. I guess that that leads into my very last thing I want. One, it's two-parter. One, what do we want to see next? Because we know that there's the Arkham show that's, Matt Reeves says, leaning more towards a horror. Um, and that something is dropping tomorrow on that uh, website showcased in the movie. So I'm curious, what do you guys want to see and what do you think is dropping on that website? I want Two-Face so bad. 
I want Two Face. I want the person that was at the end and to be Two Face. No, I don't want Joker. Don't give me any more Joker. Like, just stop. Let let him sit on a shelf and do whatever. Like, I, I it's kind of what Joker it sounds like. What him. he's doing, right? He's just kind of putting him in Arkham and being yes. like, eh, "I'll get to you." <laughs> And I, I think that, like, because I also think for me, like, I think Joker needs to be with a more mature Batman yeah. for it to have the depth that it can have and the darkness. Um, not that this isn't dark, but, like, there are certain life experiences that you need to have so that You're Joker really can joke. exploit. Um, but I think the sense of morality and chaos and justice not working well uh or or, that twisted sense of all of that is perfect for how matt reeves makes movies and so i really want to see his yeah i think two-face would be really good also i know that like the justice line or the justice riddle was because the guy was a da but that also just very much reminded me because there's something very similar in batman uh batman forever yeah. And I was like, give me Two-Face. And the, the, the Riddler's <laughs> website does hint at a Two-Face comic. Uh, the, so the, so uh, the I've been... The, there's a bunch of, like, uh, IP posted out, and it's all these different comic references. One's, like, the first appearance of Batman. Stuff. But the last one is a, specifically a storyline where Two-Face breaks out of Arkham. And that and that one has no correlation to anything in the movie. It's the last one that's shown. So, oh, well. you, might, you might get what you want. I'm just saying. I want it. I want it very badly. And I, I, I personally <laughs> think the thing that it's uploading towards, the thing it's counting up towards, is just one of the deleted scenes that have been mentioned with in Arkham because there's supposedly two scenes that were cut with. Uh, I think. How do you pronounce his last name? I think it's Kellen or Co- Kilgan. Yeah, I know there's two oh. scenes that were cut that were Bruce was going to him asking him for advice because it was a cut that was a maniac. So. so, yeah, so I think that's what that's counting up to is maybe scenes, but it could be like a hint of what's to come. So, I think it's the one before the release date for the movie. Yeah, because they're all issue numbers and then dates. They're publication dates. Oh. So, uh, Hannah, what do you want to see next, and what do you think is going to be? Um, I want to see more Colin Farrell as a penguin, so I'm excited for that penguin show, uh, if and when it ever does come out. Um, and I think I kind of just want more. <laughs> like, I'd, I'd be excited to see Hush. I'd be excited to see Two-Face. I'd be excited to see basically anyone, really. Um, I kind of just want more of this. Yeah. I'm not really picky. <laughs> I think... And to be honest... Oh, I think the Two-Face thing would be the most interesting, especially with, like, those rumors that Oscar Isaac had met to be in uh, this movie. Don't, and like, don't me with that. <laughs> I want Oscar Isaac as Clayface. That would be better fit. He could... Oh, my God. I want that. I was just thinking he was pretty, and Harvey Dent's also supposed to be pretty, and that's it. That was my this whole brain. Yeah, but what if we got also like fair. Henry Cavill's Two Face, and because like we're never gonna get him as Superman again, so another superhero movie. 
Um, I was going to say something that like made me really happy is, um, something my husband and I have been talking about a lot is that we don't really feel a connection with a lot of the Marvel movies coming out and it's really hard to get excited for comic book movies and I'm probably less in that boat than he is. Um, no, but I get it, especially with like we, how many there are now. It's just like, yeah, why do I have to watch like all the of the force them? of needing to go watch all mm-hmm. the TV shows and characters that I actually cared for no longer exist and like all of that stuff. So like finding the care to want more of something is really hard. But when I first watched it, because I watched it by myself, I immediately said, I want everything. Yeah. Like I want more. I want this to be a whole dang franchise. And I don't care how much I get. I want all of it. Please don't change him in five years. Yeah. I and want there to be seven of these. When, exactly. And then when my husband walked out of the theater, he was like, I was like, what did you think? He was like, I just want more of this. He was like, I, I'm just really excited. I want more of this Batman. And it was just really nice, like, not necessarily just for me or, like, from my, like, from my personal part of wanting more, but it was just really nice to see someone who was burnt out on superheroes go in and have an experience that makes them excited for the, for the genre. Like, yeah, brought the light back a little bit, right? Exactly. And I think that that is, if you can do that, you you do something beautiful. And, and, like, I think if... phase I would I would be satisfied with what I want from this franchise which is I want a world mm-hmm. that breathes and like feels like things have time yes. to do things and work together and yes. like that's the this thing where I don't care about the runtime of this movie because I love movies that give time for the characters to actually think uh, there is such a thing as too much space to think but like it's the same reason i love blade runner 2049 so much is like it gives time for the characters to process what just happened to them and so yeah. I, I like that and i like knowing that this sh- these shows are going to be interweaved so i'm like oh this is what marvel wants but i think they might be able to pull this off because they're starting from the ground floor instead of 30 movies in yeah um so yeah i think that's our batman talk uh kate thank you so much for coming people uh thank you so much for having me on uh you can find me at oh my Mithrander on twitter um i'm actually not posting that much anymore because i am in final fantasy nonstop, um and i just don't check it that much but uh when i do post it's mostly shit posts thirds post and like some commentary <laughs> in my reviews um if you read want to read my writing it's at butwhythopodcast.com um, and if you want my like manga self, um, if you read that, you can find me on Instagram at Oh My Myth Um Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Go follow Kate. Um, if you've ever been to my Twitter account, it's very similar. Hers is just better. Oh, no. <laughs> um, Jesse, where can people find uh, you? you? Find me everywhere at Sleeper of the Bed. I'm not doing much, but. And you can find me talking about Batman and Thirst posting about Batman at underscore Hana23. Um, next week, we're going to be talking to David Mann about the webtoon The Boxer. I'd like to thank our Patreon producers, Anthony Greco and Patrick Mullman. 
If you want to join them and support us on Patreon, you can find us there at patreon.com slash ycomics. We have three tiers that you can choose from with different perks. You can go ahead and email us with any questions. If you want to be a guest, uh, if you have any stories about how comics or any adaptations have impacted you, you can go ahead and reach out at uh, ycomicspodcast at gmail.com, as well as on Twitter at ycomicspodcast. Uh, If you like the show, please tell a friend and go ahead and leave a review on the podcast service of your choice. Our logo is done by Zach Russell. You can find their work everywhere at Cavity Crew. And our theme is Joy in the Restaurant by David Suceste. I hope you have a great night and thank you for listening. Bye. I still don't feel like I got all my Batman talk out, but I feel very like this was very cathartic for me. (laughs) 